Okay. Questions? Any thoughts from this morning's text? Come on, Don. I know you got something. No, wait, wait for the microphone. Don. It's ringing. Don loops. For those of you driving, my beautiful assistant is moving around the room with a microphone at this moment. Um, talk about a, a servant. Sometimes I think we think that servanthood is a choice, but it's not. It's inherent in being created and being redeemed. Yeah. Um, we don't. We never have a choice of whether we're a servant or not. We just only have a choice of who our master is. Yeah. Um, There's nobody who's not a servant. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's no free agent status. Uh-huh. And that's one of the things. There's one more biblical metaphor. I gave three, right? I gave father to child, master to servant, king to subject, shepherd to flock. In every one of those, because people are like, well, I want a relationship with God. One of the unifying factors in every relationship is he is the authority. And the very reason we don't have a relationship with God uh, is because we reject his authority. So being reconciled with God necessarily involves submitting yourself to him and you will be my shepherd you will be my father you will be my king you will be my master we're entering back into that relationship um in, in keeping with that i like some of the older translate uh, other or older translations that that translate the chesed as mercy mm. uh, steadfast love which is used now says something about God, but it doesn't say anything about the relationship uh, between me and God. Mercy does. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, it's good. Different translations do different way. What's the, uh, Serena, what's the uh, Jesus Starbuck Bible's definition? Never letting go. Always. And forever, never giving up. Never stopping, never, yeah. Like that. that's, that's, that's a fair translation, too. Mm-hmm. Um, no. 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 That's not it. Always and forever, never. Yeah, okay. Where's it, kid? When you need one? Yeah, I know, right? No, no, no. Mercy's. That's a good translation. Yeah, mercy. Yeah, yeah. It, the only my problem with mercy is I, I skip over it. As long as I know what the translation uses, so I know when it's representing chesed, I'm good. Like, but find out what your translation uses to translate that because it's a very. Not every word is a specific. It always means the same thing. Word. This is mm-hmm. one. That it's never God chesed's the birds or the flowers, or and He does love the birds and the flowers. Uh, not a sparrow falls apart from His will, but this is, yeah. So you like mercy? But again, mercy to me, in my understanding, says something about God, but it also says something about me and about that relationship. What yeah. what that rela- kind of defines that relationship? Mm. Just you know, just as you know, we we talk about being a servant. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. No, that's. Sure, absolutely. In the back, Mr. Walt. Oh, I got to steep my teeth, decant my teeth. On the word teach? Yes. So, you know, we see teach used different places in the scripture. And sometimes when you talk about the Greek meaning of words, is teach always just one word in Hebrew, Greek, whatever? Hebrew, I'm less familiar with. Teach, the primary word, um, comes from the word disciple. Um, It's the didaskalos word group. 
that's the most common term, at least in the pastorals. There, there may be others. That's the one I'm most familiar with. Uh, what's interesting, you're going to be on a tangent here. Um, there's very little, there's really one passage I'm aware of that speaks about preaching in the church. Pre- the idea of preaching fundamentally is heralding, announcing, right? It's not, a, it's not interactive. It's, you send a herald. Jesus and the plane with 5,000 is heralding, is announcing. And so uh, first, no, second Timothy, preach the word in season and out. But what dominates the pastorals is teach. I don't want to make too big of a distinction, except um, the, uh, the, sometimes you'll see people pit preaching against teaching, and preaching is speaking to men's heart, and teaching is speaking to their minds. Such a distinction can't really be backed up biblically. Um, that's, that's all. Uh, the overwhelming command of what we're to do in the church is teach. Um, and Jesus didn't preach sermons to the 12. <laughs> I preach because I can't do this with everyone in that room. If, with this group, I'd rather do this. So preaching is a ministry of the word, but it's not, it's not some um, privileged ministry of the word. But where, where are you going with the question about teaching? Microphone, microphone. I like to learn, um, be, you know, I'm commanded to teach my children. Mm. But then there's also the aspect of not let, let not many of you be teachers. Um, teachers. So just the contrast. Well, in James, it's the office of teaching. You're becoming something. We're all to teach. I mean, go, go to Colossians, um, go to Colossians 3. Every Christian is to be a teacher in some respects. It's one of the reasons why uh, none of the qualifications for eldership are unique to elders. They're all things Christians are commanded to do elsewhere. Um, Elders are simply people who have a desire for the work and who seem to be doing well, front of the pack type of thing. Um, So here in in Colossians 3... um, 15 and 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, with what effect? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, so God would have every believer speaking his word to each other, and in some sense, teaching. I mean, every conversation you have, there's teaching taking place. There's counsel being given. Every relationship involves that. Not everyone's in the position, the office of teacher. Um, but everyone is a teacher. You're teaching all the time. There's no way around it. If you're interacting with people, you're a teacher. You're teaching them things. Um, just in the same way that just how I live my life is teaching my kids things. There's no way around that. It's inescapable. So um, James is specifically speaking to people who would enter into an office, of te- a teaching office, a, a, a uh, reified or institutionalized, recognized position as teacher. And he's like, yeah, you don't want to <laughs> do that uh, without thinking it through. But we're all teaching all the time, everywhere, and always. Do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to parents or to Sunday school teachers um, if they're going to start teaching? Uh, depends. I can make recommendations along a couple of fronts. Um, 
Ted Tripp's got two books, one speaking to discipline, one speaking to instruction, that I think are great. Shepherding a Child's Heart and Instructing a Child's Heart um, for young age children, I think is a great starting point. There are others. Um, but that's more the notion of, of parenting and for teaching purposes. Uh, David Powlison's Speaking the Truth in Love is great. Um, as regards to just giving general counsel, uh, Paul Tripp's Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands is great. Um, and it specifically a, a, a resource I'll buy for any, um, any uh, Awana leader who wants a copy is put out by, uh, used to be Children Desiring God, now it's like Truth 77 or something. I don't know. They changed the name. But it's called uh, Helping Children Understand the Gospel. Fantastic little, like, pamphlet book. So depending on what you're like, I want to be better at communicating, I want to be a better teacher. I want, I, there's a number of different fronts you can come at, but I'd throw those out as, as initial resources that can be helpful. Um, any more spe- specificity you're looking for? Is that a good starting point? All right. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. Next question. Well, wait, for, wait for the beautiful Serena. Thank you, beautiful Serena. <laughs> um, okay, today I think you quoted Matthew seven eleven. Yes, ma'am. And and so um, Luke eleven thirteen has uh, a slightly different wording. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Right. I've been, yeah, yeah. I don't think those are quoting the same instance. Oh. So I, I think he said both. Just, I don't think the Sermon on the Mount is the same as the Sermon on the Plain. Some people try to harmonize okay. the two. I don't see. Any, we know Jesus went regularly preaching, regularly teaching, and so it wouldn't surprise me at all if content was similar. You know, I've got a message to give the people in Galilee. Well, I, why would I need to radically change it up to give the same message to the people in Decapolis? So people look at the similarities between the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, and they think it must be... This gets back to the people thinking they've got to be copying from one source and, you know, Luke's cue, and it's nonsense. Far more likely, Jesus taught all the time. We know that. So anyway, all that to say, I think he said both. Um, and... So both are accurate. I don't. I don't think there's any conflict. Is that what you're getting at the conflict? No, no? not conflict no. at all. Oh, okay. But no, no. but just kind of the point. What yeah. a good thing that is oh, to ask yes. for more of God's Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Sorry. Okay. okay. I was I was going a direction you weren't even going in. You're just. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> sorry. What? I'm sorry. To give an answer without hearing is falling in shame. Okay. Next question. Going back to your notes on uh, 1C2, uh, the reference you give us, Hebrews 28, I imagine there's probably a, a chapter that's supposed to be, number that's supposed to be in front of that. That's why it's a comma after uh, 15. It's the same chapter. So if it was a different chapter, I'd put, oh, yeah, it's just a comma there, right? Yeah. So my, in my, the way I do, what I learned for, doing references if i was to say matthew 6 verses 1 5 and 8 i put 1 comma 5 comma 8 so this is hebrews 9 um we, we don't have the 9 
Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay, sorry. I have it right here. Okay, yeah. It's an error on the sheet. Mandy, how'd you let me get away with that? <sighs> okay, it's Mandy's fault. Um, <laughs> no, I get down my insert and I give it to Mandy. Hey, just make sure I didn't make any egregious, obvious errors. And she gives it like a two-minute Passover. It's my fault, totally. Yes, it's Hebrews 9. That's the... Ex- I'm looking at my... I'm like, mine says 9? Yes. Um, 9. First nine fourteen to fifteen and verse twenty eight. Okay. Um, there's this like ju- there's like this gymnastics I do on fr- on Friday where I try to fit as much information on the page as I can, and so I think I took that reference out because it forced it onto a new line and a new line went to a new page and I didn't want to have a two sided insert so I got rid of nine fourteen to fifteen, and I didn't put Hebrews back. I just got rid of Hebrews nine fourteen to fifteen. Okay. Thank you, Don. Um, okay. Other questions, thoughts, complaints? Okay, I'll throw up for discussion then. Um, so we, we can struggle with prayer because, and what the Bible says about it, I, it, it's difficult, and you may have even sense to me the difficulty in trying to explain, because on the one hand, we've seen those who take the, the, the promises of prayer fulfillment and conclude, if you just have enough faith, usually more in the charismatic wing of things, but not exclusively there, um, you, you just, if you believe, you're going to get what you ask for. You want a car, you're going to get a car. You want a job, you're going to get a job. Um, and we've seen that fail. I mean, there, there were news reports of people driving around with their children had died, and they were told if they had enough faith, God would raise them from the dead, just like the widow's son. And they're dr- caught driving around with dead. Trust me, if you're driving around with a dead child in your trunk, you believe something, an awful lot. Um, I, I have a hard time thinking the issue was they didn't have enough faith. Um, it's, it's what is the Bible saying? So then we can sort of move and counter go back the other way. Okay, we don't want to do that, so God's just going to do his will. Well, then does my prayer, the life I'm living, factor in at all? If, if we just want to go in the line, God's going to do his will, well, then... He's going to do his will whether we pray, whether we don't pray, whether we're faithful, whether we're unfaithful, whether we're sinning, whether we're holy. He's going to do his will. So that is insufficient. So what, how do we sort of make sense of our faithfulness, the life we lead, our prayer life, and how we should or shouldn't expect answers to prayer? And that's, that's where you need some uh, nuance, I think. That's what I'm trying to wrestle with. It seems clear from verse... Psalm 119, verse 121, the psalmist is linking his conduct as part of a ground or argument or reason or basis for calling on God to not do something, right? Does that that make sense? What's going on? Oh, okay. He just mentioned something. That's cool. Did you guys track that discussion? Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Anyone else wrestle with thinking through those things? Um, well, I don't, because I, I, I don't want to fall into either ditch. I don't want to end up in this sort of like God's sovereign, he's going to do what he wants, which ultimately the logic of that leads to almost like prayerlessness. He will accomplish his will whether I ask him to or not. And I want to take a step towards the, no, if you're passionate and praying and you've, you've been faithful and walking in the light, I would expect more and more the desires of my heart to be in line to the desires of his heart. When I become more and more burdened for someone's salvation, my usual thought is getting excited 
perhaps God is burdening my heart because he intends to save them. Like where, you know, work, work that backwards. People say, okay, if you believe in election predestination, and I do, um, then why pray for the salvation of anyone? Well, because I don't know who the elect are. And because when I start praying for, is the desire to pray for someone's salvation a good thing? It's pleasing to God. Did that good thing come from my good heart? It's an evidence of God's grace. So God poured out a grace in my life, leading me to want to pray for someone's salvation. Why wouldn't I then conclude the same God who gave me that instinct is doing it for a purpose, and it's not to mock me and make me look stupid? So the more, the more someone's on my heart, the more I sit up and pay attention and say, maybe God's about to do something here. Um, for whatever reason, Dave Christofferson's just been on my mind and heart a lot. I'm really hopeful that's an evidence God's meaning to do something. Um, well, he's going to do something, no doubt, but do, do the thing that seems good to me, which is restore him to his family. I, I, I really hope that's what he's doing. Um, so in that sense, then, my own faithfulness, the walk and the life I lead is going to impact my prayer life and its efficacy, not because I'm storing up credit. It's not like frequent flyer miles in your credit card, you know, only $300 more and you'll have earned a free plane ticket, you know, only two more. Bible readings, and God will answer your prayer. But rather, getting my heart and my mind in tune with his heart and his mind, and the desires of my heart, especially the good desires of my heart, I, I think the Lord's put this on my heart. I think, I think this is from God. I, think, I hope that's what's going on. Um, and I, I think that's uh, uh, at least a better way than the two alternatives I gave before of moving forward with, with prayer and answered prayer and what to make of it. Yeah, Don. And then Lee, and then Christina. Okay. I think the verse you used from uh, Psalm 37, 4, that he would give us desires of a heart is predicated on the first part of that verse, delight yourself in the Lord. Right. Right. When my delight is in the Lord, then his desires and my desires and, and his his giving and, and right. my are, are in line. Right. So if you have a strong desire for something, I would expect either God to fulfill it or to change the desire of your heart. You know, I, I, I don't... He's said, I am not like a father who mocks his children and gives them stones. So either I'll change your heart so you stop asking me for the fish or I'll give you the fish. Perfect gift. Amen. Lee. Well, this is probably a super stupid question, but can our... Do our prayers change God's will? <sighs> change. Let me let me say it slightly differently. Our, the Bible is emphatic. Our prayers cause things to happen. Okay. I don't think they change God's will. Um, although it's, it's all from perspective. Because okay, so like biblically speaking, you can speak of the will of God in like along a couple of lines. I can speak of God's will as a will of desire that gets thwarted all the time. God's will is that holy men would raise hands everywhere and praise him, right? And, and yet that doesn't happen everywhere. God's will is that his name not be blasphemed. So there's a will of God that fails. It's, does we, um, to try to help think about it, theologians and people frequently talk about God's will of desire, right? And they'll contrast that with his will that is infallible. Like, like in Isaiah, I will accomplish all of my good purposes. Or Ephesians 1.11, God who is working all things according to the plan of his will. 
or Romans 8.28, for those who love God, he is causing all things to work together for the good of them who love him. And, then that, and, and when you speak of God's will that way, you're not changing anything. God's declared the end from the beginning. It's going to come to pass. So do you change God's eternal decree will? No. But then we get something like Exodus 34, where God says, because of the golden calf, I'm going to destroy Israel, Moses. And Moses intercedes for Israel. And what happens? God relents. Now, absolutely, God relents because Moses interceded. Moses' intercession does something. And from one perspective, God's mind changes. From one, clearly, I'm going to do X. I'm not going to do X. There's a, now, wh- this gets back to where did the good desire to intercede for Israel come from? Did it well up from Moses' righteous heart? No, God gave the grace that caused Moses to do it. And, and I think God did it because he intended to reveal something about himself. I mean, we, we know so much about God, but God has revealed progressively about himself piece by piece. So the first time, when, when's the first time we see God receive intercession? Intercession. When do we learn you can intercede with God? I guess, no, I guess so. I wasn't thinking of Cain, but I think you're probably right. Yeah, but I'm thinking of Moses, inter- I mean, Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. But yeah, it's, it's all, it's Job. Yes, we learn, we, no, we learn, um, let me think of, let me think of Abraham. Well, no, no, think, think of this. Abraham, you, you ever, you think through it, and you go through this like, what about 100? What about 50? What about 20? What about 10? Well, what is going on, right? This, and would it be appropriate for me to pray that way? Would it be appropriate for me to reason with God that way? I don't think it probably would. Because I know a lot more than Abraham does. What is God teaching Abraham? I'm about to do some radical shock and awe, and I don't want you to think for a moment I'm some Canaanite deity who's having a temper tantrum. I'm some petulant child who loses his mind and just lashes out. This is just, this is righteous. Is there a defense that can be made? Make your defense, Abraham. Well, would you, would you spare him for 100? Yeah, I'd spare him for 100. What about 90? You know, I mean, and can you come back with a second? So what is God revealing before he demolishes Sodom and Gomorrah to Abraham? Well, you're about to see. I take, because you even read the text that God goes down to see. Like, what do you mean God goes down to see? Well, he's showing Abraham. I'm doing a thorough investigation. Research is being done. This is righteous judgment. This is measured, calculated, calm, rational, shock and awe. Right? And Abraham learns this about God. And that's what God reveals. And you can intercede with him. But it's not till Exodus 34 that I see intercession work. I mean, at a big scale. That I see, that I see God relent. And that's amazing. And that's Moses interceding for the people of Israel. Um, it's absolutely amazing. Here is a God who in a righteous intercessor stands up, listens, and relents. And Moses is righteous with a lowercase r, you know. He's not guilty of the golden calf, but he's not really. So then that sets up for the righteous intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ, who at the right hand of God, even now is interceding on our behalf. So as God's revealing who he is and what he is like, that moves along that, that line. Um, so, yeah. Don, a microphone to Don. And then it's Pristina. What? Oh, sorry, Pristina. Sorry, Don, you got... 
I think Don wanted to say something in response to Lee, but okay. Well, just hold hold it. We're well, gonna, I was what? just going to make a statement about, um, like you said, how you know the. I used to struggle with praying for certain things and healing and things like that, and then praying God's will. So I think I, I know I saw God change my heart mm-hmm. as I m- more desired Him and desired His will. My prayers, I believe, started to change. Also, I wanted to say I'm so thankful in God's providence that we were going through the book of James during my husband's passing because I can clearly remember some of the last words that my husband said to me a couple of days before he passed. He was like, count it all joy, right, Press? Because <laughs> he used to call me Press. He's like, count it all joy. That's all he kept saying. And so I'm just grateful for that. Wow. Wow. Don, your turn, sir. Uh, going back to Genesis with God and Abraham, I love the declaration or statement of Abraham, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Yeah. His trust and his um, confidence in God's righteousness is, is doing the right thing. Right. Right. So, so back to your point, Lee. James is going to say in chapter 5, the prayer of a righteous man avails or is efficacious much. Our prayers make things happen. Things happen because people pray. There's a, so there's a very real cause and effect that the Bible makes clear. I mean, James is really clear. Elijah prayed it wouldn't rain, didn't rain for three years. This, and it's part of it is fitting it into the God who is working all things together is also working together the desires of our hearts and our prayers in concert. It's not as though our prayers are the exempt from that God's controlling all things. So, of course, God can orchestrate the desires of the hearts of his people so that they're praying for the very things he's intending to do. You know, but, but no, the New Testament, let me show you one other place. Go to Philippians 2. No, it's Philippians 1. I think it's Philippians 1. We'll find out. It's Philippians. <laughs> it is written somewhere. Um, let me find it here. Yeah, 19. So he's talking about his imprisonment and how he's dealing in imprisonment. Look at this statement. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And in the Greek, their prayers comes first, then the Spirit. So there's two, there's two agencies that's going to cause this to work out for good for me. And we have no problem with him ascribing one agency to the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit's ministry and work, this will work out for my good. And through your prayers. It's remarkable the the efficacy Paul grants to the prayers of the Philippians on his behalf. So, um, yeah, we we should prayer does things. Prayers make things happen, and prayers, from your perspective, can even change things, like Moses um, interceding for Israel. But I would not go so far as to. I would want to qualify as prayer change God's will. Well. If you're talking about, like, Exodus 34, I'm going to destroy them, no, I won't. It, it does not, like, we never pray, and God's like, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. Like, that's never happening. 
Um, so, so you, you, like everything, I want to qualify, you know. Um, but there is a sense in which, yeah, even, even the will of God changes in response to prayer, in a sense. Okay, five minutes. Matthew. So this could be just me being dumb and not because my daughter was acting out this morning, so I might have missed some stuff. Um, uh, but when I'm looking at the uh, verse uh, 121, uh, I have done what is right and just. Give me your pledge for, for surety. It's basically what I'm pulling from it is I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Do what you're supposed to. It's, it's the if you tit for tat is almost the, the way it's coming across, which feels really weird and it's mercenary yeah it's like i'm done what i'm supposed to yeah it's very transactional and then when he follows up with give me i do what i'm supposed to give me a shirt you're gonna do what you're gonna supposed to and by the way you know my eyes also long for your salvation like here's all more reason why you should yeah it it does it doesn't feel quite right is that that just missed out and you explaining that because i feel like i might have but it's it's a hard passage for me to look at these people did i address that so I like, tried to. It's at the very beginning, yeah. yeah I talked about mercenariness, and it's hippocamp. not that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No, no. Um, you, I, I figured it probably was, no, no. but, like, I had to be, like, face-to-face with Mira because she was freaking out, and I could not listen. So that's why I wanted to go back and ask. No, no. No, no, no. And that's, like I said, part of what makes this tricky is we must never think we are putting God in our debt that we're purchasing. Because th- when I purchase, right, when I, once I give the cashier my money, he's in my debt till he hands me the goods. He is obligated. It's just for him to give me the goods I paid for. So here's, here's my money, give me my grocery bag, right? And so if we're paying God, then what he gives us can't be a grace. I mean, that's, go to, go to, go to Romans um, 2. So, like, I get what you're saying where it's not supposed to be that. That's not how what's is going that, on. How is this not that? Okay. The blanks, two answers to the blanks. One, he's, by declaring what he's done, he's declaring his innocence in relationship to his oppressors. He's not claiming sinlessness. The very last verse of the psalm indicates, I've gone astray, help me. Um, he talks about how he's, um, even in the psalm already, gone astray before I was... Um, afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. So it's not a claim to sinlessness. It's a relative righteousness. And relative to his oppressors, he's righteous. They're unjustly persecuting me. I think it's the first point. The second point is, and and I've been faithful. Like, I think I'm on to your will. Our sin can certainly bring in God's discipline. And we know that if I regarded the iniquity of my heart, the Lord would not listen. That's the reference to Psalm um, 6618. So I can tell you that faithlessness in your life will hinder your prayers and God will not listen to your prayers. And I can say that the default position is my father likes to give his children what they want. Now he can have good reasons why he doesn't. But if I've been faithful, if I've been walking in the light, if, if I think my, therefore my will, my heart, my mind is coming more and more in connection with his... That becomes a basis for asking for the request. Lord, I've, I've been faithful. This seems good to me. It, it's not the tit for tat. I mean, I'm obligated to you. The, the very nature of works is debt. The, so we'll get to this next week. Next week for Re- Reformation Sunday is on Reformation Day next week. I'm excited. Um, and uh, we're going to do the Reformation on the gospel um, next Sunday, God willing. 
And one of the, the key distinctions is in Romans. Um, I don't have time to. I don't have time to do this it, right okay. now. It's, no, no. I here's. I'll, 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 I'll say it, and I'll back it up next week. At the heart of works is debt. Paul says, no one counts their paycheck a grace, but due, obligated, right? It's owed. There's this notion of owing, being um, obligated or beholding, having a responsibility to, to perform, right? There's, a, there's an exchange. You said there's a transaction, right? These are all the words of, of debt and works. And we must not deal with God that way for a number of reasons, as if we'd ever put God in our debt. As if God said, well, I pay my debt, so I'll make sure I'll take care of you. You don't want that. that. And there's no grace in that. Whatever that is, it's not grace. Whatever thing it is you're buying, it isn't grace. And, I mean, to talk about, like, with, with Roman Catholicism, to talk about purchased grace through indulgences is like talking about round squares. I mean, it's nonsense. And... So grace can't be obligated. That's Paul's point. Grace cannot be obligated. You cannot obligate God to do anything um, to, that he hasn't voluntarily obligated himself to. It's different when God says he'll do something. Then you like, okay, God, keep your word. Do the thing you said you'd graciously do. But I can't ever twist his arm behind his back and, and perform the ritual and do the work and do the right and say the prayer and make him do something. Um, but I can say, when I was trying to say, is I know his default position towards his children is he, he delights to give them the things they ask for. That should be my starting point. It's God's predisposed to say yes, not no. Um, he may have wise reasons why he says no. There could be sin in my life. But if there isn't sin in my life, if, or if there isn't like rampant sin, I'm dealing with the sin in my life. I'm trying to be faithful. And you're predisposed to say yes. And throw in the fact that as I walk in the light, I would expect my heart and my desires to be conformed to his heart and his desires. And that becomes a big basis to say, okay, Lord, I think, I think my heart's becoming in tune with yours. I don't think there's sin I need discipline for. Can you give me this thing that seems good to me, right? Or show me something better. That, that's what I'm arguing for. But that's, go back and you can go on the podcast, listen to the first 10 minutes, and we can talk. But Okay, people, thank you very much. Godspeed. God bless. Good day.